What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm your host, Sean Smith, founder and editor of GoBigBlueCountry.com, joined on the other end of the mic by my co-host, Derek Terry of the Cat Spas. Derek, you ready to do this again? Let's do it. Derek, are we are we digging our heels into like the SEC and and some of these other conferences in the South, or is, is that what we're doing with this podcast? I think so. I mean, I think we're gonna we're gonna talk our way through this and and see uh, see what's gonna happen. I mean, another day of bad news. It seemed like. I mean, maybe not unexpected news though, Sean. You know, the Big Ten. If there was any one conference that seemed like it was gonna be the first one to pull out, it was the Big Ten, and then the Pac-12 was right there behind it. So now you're in a spot where we're having to wait and see on the Big 12 what, what's going to happen with the Big 12 because that would probably shift the SEC or the ACC into either the majority or the minority in terms of who's going to be playing this fall. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. The, if, if anybody can sway this one way or the other, it's the Big 12. So they have some significance mm-hmm. here. And it, it seems like, too, the, the Big 10 has felt a lot more comfortable making the decision they made knowing the Pac-12 was going to follow. I think that's what a lot of it came down to is they didn't just want to be the only ones – uh, but we're going to get into all that. There, there's a lot to unpack in this episode. Like you said, things are changing rapidly, and not only on the football front, now it's changing at Kentucky. Uh, a staple that has been on that sideline for the last decade, Kenny Payne, it's something that I think that we we were expecting to talk about this. We hinted on the, the episode last night. I, I don't know, once again, maybe we jinxed it, because sure enough, by the time we woke up this morning, Kenny Payne was a member of the New York Knicks coaching staff. Um Derek, I had heard that this had been in the works for possibly seven to ten days, that this wasn't just something that came up. This is something that Kenny's really thought about for the last week to week and a half. How hard do you think this decision was for him, though? I mean, this is I – mean, to me, I'm surprised he really hadn't moved on to a head coaching position at a college somewhere in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, you know, three, four years ago, I wouldn't have expected Kenny Payne's exit to be – for another assistant job, probably certainly not in the NBA, but it's a move for him. You know, maybe he had felt like at his age, perhaps he hadn't gotten any of the kind of job offers he wanted, nor did he think maybe he would get those at the high major level in college. I don't know that. I've never spoken to Kenny about that. But, you know, this is a chance for him to go to the NBA where Kentucky, you know, has put out many, many players in that league who he might come into contact with. Um, after his 10 years at UK and going to be making a really, really good amount of money and is going to be working for a guy, Tom Thibodeau, who I know Cal has a lot of respect for. Thibodeau's not necessarily set the NBA on fire in any of his head coaching stints, but you know, he's on into his first year. You would think, you know, and I know the Knicks are very dysfunctional or have been pretty much our entire lifetimes, but at the same time, 
he's he's starting on a fresh fresh staff. It's not like he's going for a guy who's uh who's on the hot seat or anything. So he should be comfortable for a few years. And perhaps if, if there's some success there, maybe Kenny foresees a way that he can reach his dreams of being a head coach in the NBA. I mean, I wouldn't put it out of the out of the equation, but uh certainly a big big deal for UK. I mean, he was a staple on the sideline for virtually the entire Calipari uh era. I mean he had one year where he wasn't on the staff since Cal's been at UK. And, you know, if you, you read anything from Kyle Tucker, who, who has had some good sources on that, he uh, – you can read those quotes from former players who have very high level of respect for Kenny Payne. I mean, you have people who say, you know, he's basically the one who's running that operation there. We'll, we'll see how true that is, I guess, yeah. <laughs> here soon. Well, uh, you look at the statement that they put out today. I, you know, this news has been floating out there for at least the last – four or five days. I think it, you know, the interest in, in Kenny was a week ago. So that's when I think that things really started, but it seems like ever since Saturday, wow, what a time too with all this news just dropping Saturday morning with story after story. But it, I think it started trending towards New York. I, I texted you that I received a text message Sunday. I think that he had pretty much was leaning, accepting it. I didn't, I didn't know how much truth there was or where the source was coming from. So I didn't say anything, but I'm assuming it's for a pay raise. Uh, my guess is it's going to be more money. And I've seen people saying, well, pay him, you know, pay, how can you pay him though? Right now during COVID-19, they're already paying him almost a million dollars. I mean, he was already, was he the highest paid assistant in college basketball or towards the top? Had to be. So you couldn't really throw more money, especially there's there's no way you could even argue it during a global pandemic where universities are taking cuts, not paying more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a significant loss. Uh, it, I don't think it completely shuts the door at Kentucky. Who knows what happens down the road? I mean, if Kenny finds himself some success as a head coach somewhere or something, who knows what happens? I mean, he could be back in Lexington. I'm, I don't know that for a fact, but he obviously seemed to enjoy his time in Lexington, Derek, and in, in the the uh, release that UK sent out. He said, first of all, I want to thank Dr. Eli Capilouto, Mitch Barnhart, and Coach Cow for the unbelievable opportunity I've had at Kentucky for the last 10 years. I've been blessed to not only coach at the greatest program in college basketball, but to be in a position to help young men grow and develop and to play a part in their families' lives. I think that was the hardest part for Kenny to leave, is not only do you see big men sort of take to Kenny, you saw Tyrese Maxey. Emmanuel quickly, all these guys, regardless of position, 20 Beckham today tweeted that it was KP was the reason he got the opportunity at Kentucky. So do you think that that, you know, he was a larger than life figure, it seems like on, on the sidelines for Kentucky with not just the big men, but the guards too. Yeah. I mean, he, he was, I mean, a huge part. You look at Tony Barbie and Joel justice. Now the two returning guys, I mean, Barbie's, how long has he been there now? Four, four or five years? He's been away from Auburn, maybe longer than that, actually. Now that he, I think he, replaced, he replaced Slice, right, after the 15th so, season. Yeah. And then Joel Justice has been around, not in a full-time assistant coaching job, but he's been around, I think, since you know he's six or seven years in, too, by now. So, Kenny was a, kind of the head guy over there, and, and Robick's been around a long time, too, although he's not an official – you know, he's not officially on the staff anymore in, in the same role that those other guys are. But – I mean, he, he clearly had the respect of a lot of guys. He is someone who played big roles in the recruiting process. So, obviously, all these kids coming in, he was in relationships with. But on the other hand, I mean, maybe it made it a little bit easier for him this year to, to walk away when you have one kid basically coming back who you had a prior relationship with and Keon Brooks. But, no, I don't think it was 
I don't think money was really going to be a deciding factor, honestly. I mean, maybe – I don't know if – I don't know how much COVID would have played a role, maybe uncertainty coming up and with how colleges are going to be and for the next few years. I don't know. I don't think any of us really know that. But he, he certainly was in a job that was very comfortable. And, Sean, I think one of the big things – I don't know what's going to happen the day that John Calipari decides he doesn't want to be at UK anymore or wants to retire or do whatever in his next phase of life. I felt like that bridge between – kind of keeping someone in place was already there because with the amount of turnover UK has year after year, it seems like you could have, UK might find itself in a spot that you're losing most of your team and maybe an incoming class if they know they're not going to be playing for Calipari, that could be a little shaky too. But it seemed like Kenny would be a guy who, despite not having any head coaching experience, is going to have those relationships. He's going to have the respect of people. He might have been a bridge between following Calipari and then who knows what kind of success he could have had. We don't know. I mean, maybe that maybe that'll still happen, but it's certainly going to be different because he's not going to be like a head coach and waiting type. He would have to have come back, and at the same time, I don't know that he becomes any more of an intriguing head coaching candidate. However, by doing this, had he gone and been a head coach somewhere else and had some success, absolutely. But as it is now, I don't know. But I think that's something that you're not going to see. I don't think it's going to have an effect immediately, but it is going to be something to watch whenever it is that Cal Perry does decide to go. Yeah, and to happening this late, I mean, we're into August. I mean, most of the time, you don't you don't see this this late in the summer. I mean, th- this is what COVID has caused, though, is you're having some odd times, odd hires, assistants going from here to there. Usually, this would have been done what May, yeah. maybe yeah. sooner than that when the NBA season's complete or something like that. Uh, it's wild though that. Usually it's the rumors with Cal. You know, when all this first started earlier in the summer, you know, Cal's name was linked to the Knicks because of Leon Rose and names like that. But now it's Kenny Payne that goes to, you know, from one Mecca to the other Mecca. It's kind of interesting to think of how he's moving on. And just it's it's a huge loss. Like there's no way to say it's not. It's significant just because of KP had become just as important to the brand of Kentucky basketball as John Calipari. Uh, I've been at those EYBL events the last few years. Unfortunately, we didn't get to do them this year. But when Kenny walks in in that blue UK jumpsuit, he people gravitate to Kenny. I've watched head coaches go up and talk to Kenny. Kenny was a guy that I think was well-respected all over the recruiting front, head coaching. And it's just uh, – it's a huge loss. And we saw that with the out, outcry from players today. Ke- Kevin Knox, today was his birthday, and he, he said it's a huge birthday surprise getting KP to come to, to New York. We watched – Bam Adebayo tweeted. De'Aaron Fox tweeted about it. Uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. I mean, the list goes on and on. The impact that KP had at Kentucky was huge. And it's, it's huge shoes to fill. And I think we got to look at this and think, too, you know, what does this do to recruiting? I mean, I, I, it's still John Calipari's recruiting. It, it's not going to – fall off but in these classes coming up the, the you know the Ben Caros and those guys I, I don't know what it does but I do think in recent years that Joel Justice has picked up the pace on the recruiting trail it seems like Barbie's starting to have some success on the recruiting trail so I do think Kentucky will be fine long term but like you said this will have an impact at some point it will you know on the recruiting trail like you're talking about with, with Joel I mean I think he's on the head guys on Scott Clark for 22 they're not going to be affected, but certainly, you know, it, it is a big impact. I mean, it's UK. I don't, I don't really worry about the recruiting that much, to be honest, just because, I mean, they're always going to sign top classes yeah. as long as Cal's there. And just the brand itself, 
UK kind of sells itself. I don't think UK was lined the number one plastic solely because of Kenny Payne. I don't think anyone would make that argument. I'm just saying, you know, as long as Cal is there and the infrastructure they have in place, he gets in there, he can close the deal on these kids. I want to go back and just kind of clarify because I know there are going to be people who listen to that and think, why would UK hire a guy like Kenny Payne anyway with no head coaching experience? I understand that argument. The point I'm trying to make, and I'm not sure how good of a job I did, was one, as it stands today, I don't know if there's a realistic guy in college basketball who really just jumps off the page at you. Who this, I'm saying this is the next, you know, two to three years. Things could change. Maybe there will be a guy who seems obvious. I think for a time earlier in the year, we thought maybe Chris Holtman, uh, Kentucky native at Ohio State, with how well they were doing. They kind of fell off. But it's going to be a tough – one, most people don't want to replace guys who have as much success as Cal Paris had because the, the standards that you're going to be held to are just really not even realistic. Anytime you replace a coach who wins a ton of games and wins a national championship, it's hard to do. And, you know, if you could get a guy, I know the really name everybody loves is Billy Donovan, but, like, he's, he's comfortable with the Thunder right now. He's not really an option. Uh, maybe some other guys in the past, you know, who, who have also gone the NBA route. You just don't see them come back to school a whole lot. So I don't think that's really an option. And, Payne could have been that guy who could kind of hold it together until – and maybe he'd have success or, or who knows how old he would be at the time he got that job. But I really think that despite not having head coaching experience, he would have made a lot of sense. Well, that's something that you've told me on the phone multiple times. And and your point has been that the turnover. Like, yeah. whoever takes this job after Cal – and I, I don't know, people are going to be like, why are we talking about this right now when they just lost KP? Well, we have to, really. Because, I mean, this is a piece of the puzzle that I think people had linked to possibly getting the job when Cal left. And it still could play out that way. But you're speaking on what it does now, how it changes the whole outcome of it. Uh, Kentucky's going to have turnover every single year. But you had mentioned Cal's going to end up recruiting, right? So whenever Cal's time is to step down, he, him and, he and his staff are going to recruit. And there's going to be some big names in that class. How do you keep those guys in that class? when they don't know who's coming in to replace him. And I think that that was the point you were making yeah. with some turnover with Kenny Payne, that there would be some stability there. And honestly, when you look at this, it's kind of remarkable that a guy like Kenny Payne was at Kentucky for 10 years. I mean, not, didn't take a job somewhere else. And really the continuity from the coaching staff in general, other the one year that Salas was there, he was there for a year, which is kind of an outlier in all this Orlando Antigua. They've had some continuity on that staff and it's probably been a big help to Cal and I think that's why it sounds like he's leaning with a familiar name to replace KP yeah you know Bruiser Flint at, at this point in John Calipari's career I would have been surprised had he gone out and hired someone who he wasn't familiar with uh, I think either on here or on the phone we had mentioned perhaps uh, going after a guy like Jalen Rose or someone like that yeah. who could really make a splash I mean he's a guy who's on TV all the time and kids know Jalen Rose is certainly uh, if they don't know about his playing, I mean, you know, the reason people know him anyways is his playing career. But for kids coming up now, obviously he's been long retired and they wouldn't be that familiar with that. But you see a guy on TV all the time, he, you know, you're going to be you're going to be familiar with who that is. But Flynn is a guy who he worked with for a long time at UMass. I mean, he hired, I want to say bruisers in his mid-20s when Cal Perry brought him on. So this is a guy who goes way back. His bruiser was, was 20, 31 think or rather in the time that he uh, got hired. I need to look that up. But 
he was a young guy basically when Cal brought him on and they were together from 89 to 96 at UMass. Cal went to the, to the Nets and Bruiser stepped right in and didn't have a ton of success. He, I wouldn't say he was a failure, but he didn't have a ton. He obviously didn't have the same kind of success that Cal has had along those same lines. Who has at UMass? Nobody. So I'm not going to say that was a big fault against him, but then 15 years at Drexel, I mean, you're talking about adding a guy with what over 20 years of head coaching experience, the all time wins leader at Drexel. He never got him to the NCAA tournament, but, that's a lot of time on the sidelines, and he goes to a school like Indiana, um, once a powerhouse, I guess still considered one of the blue bloods of college basketball to be an assistant. He's going to come to UK. I mean, one of the points that I made in the story I wrote today is it's not going to be a, a point that's going to get talked about a bunch, and I don't think it should, but since we are in a pandemic, talking about the financials, he was just making a little bit over 300000 at Indiana compared to Kenny Payne making 900000 so... UK's going to save a little bit of money there, I think. I, I would be surprised. I, I would say he'll probably be around the 350 to 400K range. He got any more than that, I'd be really surprised. But I, I think it's a hire that makes sense. And really, I mean, I think Adam Zagoria was was throwing that name out there last week. So it's certainly certainly not a surprising uh, hire at all. But the cotton, not, not the continuity because it's, you know, you're having a coach change. But at the same time, there's familiarity there. Cal's, I don't know what to expect. Bruiser's, I don't know what to expect from him. And I'm sure it was a, a very easy call on Bruiser's end to, to join Cal's staff, considering how close of friends they are. Yeah, and at this point, it's just when will it become official? I mean, it's it's getting – it's a it's a done deal. Uh, you know, I texted someone today from UK, and uh, they said that, it you know, it's just about when. You know, when will they make it official? Of course, they're going to give KP his day. There, there's not going to be any news come out today with a new assistant coach. It might not even be tomorrow. It might be later in the week. Uh, but at some point, I'd expect us to be on here talking about Bruiser Flint and probably have somebody on to talk about him. Uh, Justin Rowland sp- spoke to John Rothstein today, which was the one that actually put the report out this morning that it, he was coming to Kentucky. But as you mentioned, Z- Zagoria really threw that name out there before anyone did. Uh, and it, he's a, Bruiser is a defensive-minded coach. From everything that I've read about him, and, you know, that's what Tony Barbie's built on. That's what John Calipari's built on. So it seems like that maybe that aspect of the game at Kentucky might even get stronger. They've been very good defensively and stuff. But it, it seems like that they're, they're best friends. That's another thing like uh, that I've read that they talk often. And then he was the head coach at Drexel. This is an interesting nugget that probably people won't remember is when Drexel came to Rupp Arena. Was it two, It was 2009, wasn't it? Because it was before – yeah. yeah, it was before conference play. So Kentucky's 2000th win, the UK 2K, where everybody still has those T-shirts. Uh, Bruiser Flint was the head coach at Drexel during that game. So he's he's been to Rupp Arena. So it's a name that, you know, Cal was bringing in. I'm sure that helped the Drexel program out with coming to play at Kentucky. But he was there from, what, 2001 to 2016? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. So, yeah. I mean, over 300 wins in his college career as a head coach. It, but it, it seems like that there's been some pushback, though, from the fan base. I don't, I don't know if you've been seeing that or not in your mentions and on the Twitter timeline, but it, it seems like that there's some pushback to hiring a guy like Bruiser Flint. But it's, it's because people keep throwing out Orlando Antigua. That's not happening. There isn't, I just don't see any way where Orlando Antigua comes back to Kentucky. I think people forget that when he left South Florida, there were some NCAA violations that were there. There's no way UK, Sandy Bell and that and that group, they're not going to – I just don't see that ever happening, Derek. No, I mean, I think that ship had sailed for sure after his stand at South Florida. I think what, Orlando's at Illinois now. You he know, is. I mean, 
things are different now too, man. Like when he was at UK, kind of where UK stood in the pecking order with the one and done and everything, that, that, that's all changed now. So who's to say how good of a job he would have done when he came back? I mean, is Illinois beating down the door in recruiting? I don't know. Obviously, it's a much different deal recruiting to Illinois as it is recruiting to, to Kentucky. But, yeah. I, you know, going back to Bruiser, I mean, I think it's – I think it might have been Justin's story actually where – I don't know if Bruiser recruited Barbie, but Barbie was certainly there, obviously, at UMass. So, I mean, you got three guys. You know, Tony played at UMass. Bruiser coached at UMass with Cal. I mean, that's three guys right there who should all know each other very well. And Robic go back. was there, too. And Robic was there. I mean, you're going back. Um, I don't know what years Barbie played at UMass. I'm guessing close to 20 years ago or over. Yeah, over 20 years ago. So, it I mean, definitely, yeah. Mid 90s, probably early 90s. So. These are guys who've known each other for a long time. And then you have kind of the younger guy in Joel who is leading a lot of the recruitments now, has uh, kind of paid his dues on the trail. But, I mean, that's another thing, Sean. I mean, if we're going to talk about coaching, you know, kind of the stability of the staff. I mean, Joel was rumored for some jobs this offseason. I wouldn't be surprised if he's someone who jumps on an opportunity here in the next few years if he gets it. And, but that's what you want, though. I mean, you want to have guys who are coveted on your staff. We talked about it a little bit with Mark Stoops' football staff. I mean, it's a good thing to have people who want your want your people. It means you're doing things the right way and doing things well. So, I'm, I was trying to find a, a quote, Sean. I think – I don't know if it's true. I remember seeing it a few years ago. But um, when when Drexel beat Louisville when Rick Pitino was there, I don't know what year it was. And I don't know if this is even a real quote, but it would make sense given how much Cal and, and Bruiser are friends. But he had said something like he had told his team before the game that they could win that game. He said, he said, we're not playing Kentucky. You know, we could beat these guys. So, if I could ever find that quote, I think it's something UK fans would, would certainly like. But that could have been that a made-up quote as well, though. I might not even have been real. So, that game, if, I, if, that, if I'm looking – okay, that game was played in 2010. So, Drexel won that game 52-46. to 46. I remember watching that game. And that was, that was at Louisville. And Louisville was uh, number 20 in the country. I think that was their first loss of the year. I wish we could find that quote. I mean, it's a really good quote. But uh, you mentioned Barbie. Barbie played at UMass from 89 to 93. So, like you said, there's so many connections, and I think that's just who John Calipari has been for his entire career. He's just – he's going to go with with his gut. He's going to go with someone he trusts. This is obviously – the way that this has worked out, Derek, is KP's name started being mentioned seven to ten days ago. In that time – Kentucky was already moving towards replacing KP with Bruiser Flint. And then, too, you know, Woj dropped the bomb this morning. And then not long after Woj dropped the bomb, UK had out the official press release. So I think it was – it showed the respect to me from Kenny's side of things that it wasn't just something that was coming from sources, that they – he had a quote ready, and it they they held on to it, which is very hard to do in today's world especially with sources and people leaking things. I just I think it showed the respect that KP had for the university, for his players at Kentucky, and just for John Calipari in general. Yeah, come to think of it, I can't really remember a time where UK kind of released something like that for a coach that was leaving. I mean, most of the time they'll confirm the news for you or whatever, and that's that. You know, the coaches on Twitter or whatever can make a statement. But, I mean, there had to be a lot of respect. After 10 years there – Never got anybody in trouble. I mean, as an assistant, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, he, he did everybody, he did things the right way. You got a lot of respect from Cal. He's a very loyal guy. I think uh, everything played out really nicely, I thought, for Kenny. Go, go back to that quote. I found it. It was reported uh, 
by Jeff Goodman, apparently. And the quote was, we're not playing against Kentucky. We can win this game. That's what Bruiser Flint said, uh, <laughs> allegedly, when they were playing Louisville. So, an interesting thing there. But, no, you know, going back to Kenny, I don't know what more we can say. I mean, just we got to kind of wait to see what's going to happen. You know the legacy that he left and, and the respect. I mean, another thing we didn't bring up, but it's a good point. How many guys will still come to UK in the offseason to train? It's their alma mater, but at the same time, a big reason they came was, was to work out with Kenny. So, yeah. will, will Bruiser have that kind of relationship? Will somebody else fill that role? I don't know. What will, I mean, Zan's still at UK, right? I mean, as far as I know, yeah. That's, maybe Kenny uh, will still be around. Still I mean, you know, Zan might finish up as, the, uh, you know, be living in Lexington for a few more years. So, maybe Kenny still comes back sometimes. But obviously, he's going to have obligations with the Knicks in the summer to do things. So, not sure how much time he's going to have to be able to do something like that. But certainly going to be an interesting deal with, with the NBA alumni. And how many of those guys want to come back and work out at UK? I'm sure there will still be a good number of them. But if they were just there for Kenny, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if those numbers dwindled a little bit. Yeah, and that, that story from ESPN, the not Drexel one, I mean, it says Drexel turns up D, suffocates number 21 Louisville. So, I mean, yeah. we mentioned the defensive stuff. They, they scored 46 points. So, I mean, it seems like uh, Kentucky's getting a defensive-minded guy on the sidelines. And you know, you mentioned Joel Justice. I think that he's a name that's going to go to another level, especially on recruiting. We've seen that the last few years from him, and and uh, Joel's just a Joel's a really good guy. Uh, I think that early on, people were questioning, you know, his place on the coaching staff when they were losing some of those recruiting battles. But no, Joel Joel's been very solid the last two years. Him and, and then Tony is coming in with it too. So every the recruits that I've talked to, they've praised Joel Justice. Everyone that I've talked to, so that's a that's a guy that I think that could take a step forward in recruiting and be a sort of a bigger force for Cal. And, you know, I mentioned that I talked to somebody from UK. I should have said that someone familiar with UK is who told me that the stuff with Bruiser for sure is done. And it, it just now it depends on when it's coming out. So that, I guess we have that to look forward to in the next few days. I mean, I, I highly, I was surprised that we have basketball coaching staff news in August, but that just shows you how weird 2020 has been. So that's obviously the top story of the day, and we'll we'll talk more about that. We're uh, we're actually going to have Nate Sestina on the podcast tomorrow to talk about KP and some other things. We'll have him talk about Keon Brooks and his sophomore potential. We'll talk about Dante Allen. So we're going to have a, a really solid interview with Nate tomorrow. Nate's Nate's a very good interview. Like he he talks, uh, he'll give good intel, and uh, that's a guy that really liked KP. So it'll be interesting to see one of the big men come on and talk about that. But we're going to transition now to the news, Derek, of college football with the Big Ten and uh, the Pac-12. I didn't have my phone on me earlier. You texted me, and I could tell that it wasn't good news. And it was that the, the Pac-12, <laughs> the Pac-12 had canceled. Derek, Derek was very short with his text message. Sure, I could, yeah, I could tell by his wording that he was like, "Man, this is this isn't happening again." So here we are, Derek. It's yeah. Tuesday. Things are changing again. What's your reaction to what's going on right now? Nothing unexpected. I mean, I think we saw it coming. Maybe some public pressure was held off or before, you know, it sounded like a choice was coming down yesterday, a decision to cancel or postpone. I, I guess the better word to use it, cancel for the fall, but really they say they want to play in the spring. I don't – they're not going to play in the spring. I'll go ahead and say it. They ain't playing in the spring. No <laughs> one's playing in the spring. I mean, you're either going to play this fall or you're not going to play at all until until next August or September. But like I said at the start of the podcast, I mean, I actually just saw a tweet. Uh, it's not from a national source. It looks like it's from an Oklahoma site uh, that's verified that's saying that 
the plan right now for the Big 12 is to continue on as if they're having a season, which is I think it's going to be good for the SEC and the ACC. The plan is to play. You've got another conference that's kind of on the same page as you that at least as of now they want to try to continue. But, uh, I mean, like we said yesterday, the SEC is going to be the last – that's going to be the last conference. They're going to go down to the bitter end, I think. They're going to do everything they can to play. Maybe they can't finish the season. I don't know. But I think everyone in, in the league and also the ACC, too, I don't want to leave them out. I mean, it seems like the ACC and the SEC are really on the same page. They released statements today more or less uh, simultaneously. I mean, it was right after the other pretty similar statements from their league. I mean, Greg Sankey today. Some interesting wording. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but more or less said that he's interested in hearing what it was these last few days that caused uh, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten to cancel the season now, as opposed to, you know, what information did they get here recently that, that caused this? And that will be interesting if, if it's made public. What it was, I would hope that it's made public, but we'll see. Either way, you know, the SEC is still on, ACC is still on, and as of now when we record this, it sounds like the Big 12 wants to – wants to try to keep things going as well. It, it just means more, Derek. It does. That's, that's obviously – I mean, that's the motto for the SEC. I have the quote here in front of me from Sankey. He says, I look forward to learning more about the factors that led the Big Ten and Pac-12 leadership to take these actions today. I remain comfortable with the thorough and deliberate approach that the SEC and our 14 members are taking to support a healthy environment for our student-athletes. We will continue to further refine our policies and protocols for a safe return to sports as we monitor developments around COVID-19 and a continued effort to support, educate, and care for our student athletes every day. So it is interesting wording. You know, he, he mentions the Big Ten and the Pac-12, and I, I think it is interesting to see why they decided to do what they did. And I, I think that this, from Saturday, or at least Sunday, that this was coming. The only reason it hadn't been delayed is just because of the pushback that the head coaches in the Big Ten and some of the players – I think that that was the reason why that it was sort of put off. But then, like I said earlier, the Pac-12 joining in with them, it makes it easier if you're not the only one stepping away from it. But I, I really fully agree with you. There is no college football in the spring. There's just no way that it can be done. If anything, you're asking players to put their put themselves at risk even more because now you're talking 20-plus games in a matter of what, a year? Not even a year. I mean, how can you play a spring season? How can you play a fall season? What does that do to the transfer portal? What's that do to yeah. eligibility? All that. They'd have to change everything. And I just don't think that that's feasible with the way college football set up. I just – I feel like that they're you're either playing now or you're just sitting out of here. And then here's here's the next thing, too. If if the SEC, Big 12, and ACC play now, how do you, how do you even decide a national champion? If there's a season in the spring with two other power conferences, are they just playing just to play? Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a national champion this year. Not not NCAA recognized one anyway. I mean, maybe they'll decide to to have it, but I, I feel like the most likely scenario, or maybe not the most, maybe not the most likely. If you're asking me, my uneducated opinion, I'm just guessing like everybody else. My guess is they start, but they don't finish, which I do not think is an unreasonable uh, opinion to take. I hope they can. It's good for us if they can. I mean, we need that. It's our jobs. Like that's what we're. We're rooting that they play, but at the same time, I, I absolutely recognize the the health, you know, perhaps absolutely. you know the the dangers that can happen if you do play and if a kid does contract it, and you know, there's gonna be some bad outcomes. A lot of you listening, you know, you're probably in favor of them playing. If you're listening to this podcast, it's because you're interested in UK and obviously want them to play. But 
those are people are going to live with those decisions. The, the, the decision makers, if someone goes out there and you might think, Hey, you know, it's 99% chance you're going to be fine. And for most kids, it probably will be the case, but if one contracts it and has long-term issues, you know, that's, that's a hard thing to live with. I think if you're someone in, in a position of power and probably ultimately why you didn't see the big 10 and pack, uh, Pac-10 continue, or Pac-12, my bad. It's been – they've added some teams. I mean, honest, uh, we have gone back to the 90s on this episode, yeah, though. I mean, so, I mean, if, if we want to, we'll, well go Well, the Big Ten back. has more than 10 teams, right? They have 12. <laughs> yeah. and, and the Big 12 has 10. Or it's yeah. all, they don't have 12. All the names are all messed up. You, but, maybe, maybe out of all this, the one thing that we will get is some common sense that we can name our conferences by the number of teams that we have. So, maybe if there is some movement with some conferences, uh, Ross Dellinger, who was actually going to be on today, but since there, there was so much happening today, there was no way I was even going to ask Ross, hey, can you call me at 1 o'clock? Because, I mean, it, he's been in the heart of this, but he just tweeted August 11th, 2020 the day the big 12 kept college football alive, at least for now. So that report, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you saw the report from soonerscoop.com. Yep. yep. So that must be, that's a credible report. Uh, it looks like the, uh, the big 12 is digging in their heels too. So it looks like the big 12 ACC and SEC as of now are going to press forward. So what comes of that? Who knows? But as you said, there is no way, I think you'll agree with this. There is no way that you and I or media people are rooting against college football. There's just no way. It's our jobs. I mean, we have no work, Derek, if there's no college football. There's no way. Now, I, I hate seeing that, that people are saying, you know, sports media, sports journalists are against it. If, if they are, then they need their head examined or they either have a lot of money. It's two things. Yeah. Well, I mean, the problem, too, I'm sure you're seeing that on Twitter like I am or message boards. Like, there's just not a lot of nuance on Twitter. There's not a lot of good conversations that take place there. I mean – you don't say it, no I, I mean you you can of course we want it to happen I, I, I think the players want to play but like there are real bad things that can happen if you get COVID I'm not saying everybody gets it some people get it they don't even know that they have it but other people a pitcher for the Red Sox I mean he's a little bit older than these kids not much I think he's 27 or 28 which is not much older than me and he, he's got a heart condition now because of it yeah. there's pro it's probably going to happen if they play I mean I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen but Certainly the possibility can happen. I believe that was mentioned in one of the reports by the Pac-12. That I think that's what scared them the most. Yeah. Honestly, well, I think that that's what's scaring everyone is the that and the liability. Yeah. And we're, we will at some point have Ross on here, but I think it's going to be when all of this settles down, the dust settles, and we see what in the heck's going on. Because right now, whatever if we have Ross on, whatever he tells us is going to change within five minutes. Yeah. So I, I think it, it's best to wait and see what happens because we need to get through this week and see. Uh, I think it will be interesting, though. Somebody – who mentioned that the schedules, the SEC was set to probably release the schedules you know, this Matt week? Jones. That's so right. I yeah. That's who, that, so, I, I think that if, if Matt's correct on that, and I'm assuming he is because that was been mentioned that within two weeks that they could have schedules. If the SEC sends a schedule out, I think that's a loud statement yeah. that possibly that they're moving towards football. But who knows? We might not get that now this week. It might be next week. I just think that with COVID-19, it's a – at one point, it was a daily changing thing. Now I think this thing's changing by the hour every couple of hours. And, I mean, it seems like it's a train full steam ahead right now. I, I think uh, you're right about that on the national news level. But if you look at the position the SEC's taken, they're, they're saying our protocols are the same as they have been and they, they're working. Teams aren't having outbreaks. Nothing's really changing. It will change when the students get back on campus and – there's going to be other factors that the football teams have to deal with that they weren't that they're not dealing with now, but I can understand Sankey's position that 
it's not maybe it won't for sure happen but today august 11th there's really nothing different now than what has been going on so why would we cancel now i totally understand that point i think the acc is taking that same stand and, and, and that's what Doring said. That's what Doring said last night. That was the part of the video that I pulled. Why did the Big Ten do what they did? And them announcing it today, what did it change? It didn't really change anything. I mean, it's just they just got the news out there. Which, And, and then, too, I've seen we've had six months to do this. Why are we so off the rails with this right now? Like, it just – I mean, it feels like uh, – was it Myron Metcalf that said it best today? I, th- I think it was him from ESPN that said it feels like that the, the NCAA or college football, we've had this paper due, and it's the last – it's the night before the due date, and we're scrambling. It, it's, that's what it feels like. I'm exhausted. I tweeted today, it feels like the end of the week. I mean, it feels yeah. like it should be Friday. From I've, I've written so many stories just with – I don't even know. I finally stopped today. I was like, I can't even breathe. Like, this is enough because it's just changing by the minute. You put something out, and then there's another report. I mean, you can't even keep up with what's going on. You know, I'm skimming through the statement right now from the Big Ten, and I mean, I think the other conferences, and I'm not saying they have or haven't. I'm assuming they haven't, given some of the statements uh, and given the way that the Big Ten's kind of operated through all this. If there was something that came out and some kind of study or whatever that is just – left the, those conferences at a point where they felt like they could absolutely not play. That should be shared, I think, with uh, with the other conferences. And it sounds like, according to Sankey, just given his statement, saying that he's curious to hear what it was, that it sounds like that has not been shared, which maybe just leads to believe that nothing's changed. But that was always going to be the outcome for those conferences, is that they were just not going to play this year. I don't know that. I don't know if anyone really knows that yet, but that's how it seems. And, you know, I was, I was going through some other boards today. It's something I do a lot on 24-7, just having access to all of them. I mean, people aren't happy, as you would expect. Uh, you know, just the whole cultural deal of, of football. I mean, it's it's ingrained in our society in the fall. Um, it's going to be very strange. And you're, you're going to have – I'm just thinking you're going to have Ohio State fans who are 70-something years old. And they're for the first time in their lifetime, you're going to have a fall without Ohio State football. I mean, it's it's a sad deal. It really is. And I'm, I'm not blaming anybody, any one person. Uh it's something that was, you know, unforeseen, unforeseen circumstance in, in the world that's happened since January. And uh, I would hope that, you know, the spring deal, I just don't think it's going to work out, just some of the challenges you mentioned. So I'm hoping that for the Big Ten's sake and the Pac-12 that they can, they can come together with a very good plan to continue through this year. And hopefully by next August things are, things are different than they are now. I think they will be, but the SEC and ACC and Big 12, I mean, they want to make it happen. It's important, I think, that they make it happen, and they'll do everything in their power it's, as long as it's safe to play. Yeah, and, you know, John Rustin just mentioned, too, that, you know, this this affects college basketball with the Pac-12's decision, too. Yeah. I mean, possibly. I mean, if they're not doing fall sports, I don't know how they're going to resume anything in November. And then he he put a he put out a list of all the conference tournament or those preseason tournaments that the Pac-12 teams are in. We're talking the Maui Invitational, the Battle for Atlantis, all of that. So it it not only changes college football, it's it's going to have some impact on college basketball. I still feel like that we're destined for a January start for college basketball, possibly if it if they're able to do it. I don't know. I just don't know how. I don't know. So in the event that college football did happen in the spring, you would have an overlap of basketball and football season Yeah, for basically the entirety of both. I mean, yeah. the whole football deal, though, uh, I was trying to think about this today, just, just some scenarios. And I just 
the time – would you even play a full season or could you play like four or five games in the spring? And if you do that, how does it affect the eligibility? You know, I'm just trying to think like – uh, under no circumstance do I see where you totally just move the college football season to the spring from here on out, which would seem like if you're going to do it at all, I mean, that's, I'm just talking like through it right now. It doesn't make for a great podcast, thinking out loud, but like uh, it just seems like the next logical thing to put off, if that makes sense. Like you can't play in the fall, so try to give people hope so you'll play in the spring. My guess is it'll get around January and they'll just say, you know what, we can't do it either. So they'll cancel that. But basketball, I'm not with you. Uh, I don't see any of these non-conference games taking place uh, in Rupp Arena early in the year. Obviously, they're not playing UCLA now. Not, the Champions Classic is not going to happen. Uh, none, of the, none of that's going to happen. You're probably going to see a similar stance where, you know, if they're going to play, it's going to be against SEC teams starting in, yeah. in January and play for a few months. And that, to me, that's a decision that college basketball is probably going to go ahead and get out in front of pretty yeah. soon. I don't think that – they're not going to let this go on until October, November. I mean, we don't have – we don't have anything yet. We don't have an SEC schedule, and that usually comes out around this time, is in August sometime. Uh, it's just interesting. I, I feel for these people, these players that transferred from SEC schools to Big Ten schools. <laughs> uh, Justin Fields went from Georgia you know, to Ohio State, and now he doesn't even get to play. Well, something we didn't even bring up. I mean, if okay, I say they do play in the spring. Justin Fields is not going to play with the draft coming up. You know, no, because the NFL he's not, has stated that they won't know. change their draft. Yeah. And so, I mean, you're going to have the NFL draft in the middle of the college football season. It would be a watered down college. It would be a watered down college football experience that I don't think anyone's going to be that interested in taking, taking part of, if you're asking me. So you either play in the uh, fall or you don't play at all. Did you see the, uh, the recommendations that Georgia put out for their students today? Uh, I I saw it yesterday. That's what, if we're talking about. Was it yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's asking a lot. I'll let people search that on their own, though. Just, uh, yeah. Just, I know what you're you, talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll let people search that on their <laughs> own. I'm not going to get into that. I don't know why I'm just now seeing that, but, man, that's interesting. That's a good ending note. <laughs> I'll get one more plug. Let me plug one more thing. Uh, yeah, I'll let you take this. You're familiar since, with this. Since, since this has been a uh, mostly negative, I would say, uh, pessimistic episode, um, some good news. And the the best news of it all is, is people who are familiar with football recruiting, they know Steve Wiltfong, who uh, is really, I think, probably the best in the game on the national scale football recruiting. He um, put in a crystal ball today for a big target, probably the biggest target on UK's list, Jagger Burton. He flipped his pick from Ohio State to Kentucky, the hometown Cats. You know, Jagger Burton, for those who are not familiar with him, is a four-star offensive lineman from Frederick Douglass High School here in Lexington. Not just any four-star, though. I mean, this is a kid who uh, I looked it up. If he is to commit to UK, which I think he will, I also put in a crystal ball pick. Um, but Jagger would be the fifth all-time highest-rated commit uh, as of right now in the composite. So that's a, that's, that's a huge commitment if it happens and when it happens. I had told – I talked to a few people. Um, but sounds like with – and this is something I thought for a couple of months, actually, from talking to some people. I think Jagger was a kid who really wanted to take those official visits. I think he wanted to have that experience, which I think all kids should have, that you get those five official visits, you get to take them. It sounds like he's kind of accepted that official visits are not going to be taking place this fall. So with that in mind, I think he's ready to go ahead and make a decision. And uh, from what I had heard, uh, UK's in the driver's seat. I think it's it's close to being done, and in all honesty. Uh, I think he's going to be a wildcat, and 
when it happens, I'm not sure, but I think it could be relatively soon. I heard the end of the month as a possibility. And if that happens, I mean, I think that's going to be the shot in the arm that this class needs. Uh, it's not going to be a surprise. I don't think, I mean, for a long time, UK has been, I talked to him, I think after his, maybe a sophomore year, he's one of the only kids I even interviewed that year, but it was right around that time he was starting to get a lot of big offers. And even back then you could tell UK was a school that he always liked a lot. And, um, you know, I always felt like UK was in really good shape for him and, Vince Mero stayed on him, and Dekel Crowdis, uh, UK's highest rated commitment right now. Frederick Douglass, he stayed on him, and I think he's going to stay home. That's why I put in the crystal ball pick, but more so than me. I mean, Steve is a guy who I think he's got like a 90% uh, correct rating, which is just insane for how many crystal ball picks he puts in. He doesn't put in a pick unless he, he is hearing some really good yeah. stuff. That should give people a lot of confidence. And you've been all over it too, though. Like you've in, – in discussions with me and stuff that you've you've mentioned for months to me that you think that he's staying home. Yeah. And it just seemed, you know, DeKel Corrales, teammate there at Kentucky. I mean, obviously, DeKel has been recruiting him like crazy. And, you know, Jagger's put up some interesting tweets and stuff, a, a header yeah, on he Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it, it pretty much uh, – he might as well just go ahead and just make his announcement. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's a guy, Derek, that who knows when he makes his decision. Uh, people on this podcast might get to hear from him. Yeah. Uh, that is somebody I've talked to in the past, and I've told him. And we've talked, and I said, hey – if you're, whenever you make your decision, if you, if you, if it ends up being Kentucky, I'd like to have you on. He said, yeah, he said, for sure. He said, I'll remember it. So what, that might be a Kentucky daily podcast coming. I, I think that's something that we might, we've talked about transitioning to is getting some of those commitments on uh, yeah. to Kel and some of those guys. I'm going to start reaching out to them and seeing if we can get some uh, recruiting feature, like 15 minute interviews with these guys. And they don't do a lot of that. I think it, that'd be something that people would be interested in hearing and, uh, we're just going to keep pressing forward, Derek, with Kentucky Daily. Uh, if anything, we're going to be uh, seasoned veterans on this oh, yeah. daily podcast thing when we actually do have some sports to talk about. But uh, we went a little longer than planned tonight, but I think we got a lot of good content in this episode for people. As always, uh, if you have any kind of suggestions for us, uh, reach out to me on Twitter at GBB Country. My DMs are open. Uh, Derek, you're Derek S. Terry on Twitter. Is that right? Is that your Twitter handle? Why do I know that? Yeah, why do I know that? Probably because I think I've tagged you so much in the last week. Uh, Derek, your email, if you want to send it out there for people, is it is it in your bio? Uh, I'm not sure, but it's Derek Terry at catspaws.com. You can reach me there. And then to my email, my personal email is gobigbluecountry at gmail. I check that one anytime something comes on. Uh, Kentucky Daily at Gmail. I check that a couple of times a day too, just in case we get somebody. But you know, right now I think we have two emails, so we <laughs> haven't really got anything because it's new. Once again, I apologize if this podcast is not on Apple Podcast. I have no idea what's going on with them. I don't know. I mean, it's been since Friday. I'm waiting on that pending approval. I know a lot of you are waiting to listen on Apple Podcasts because then you can subscribe and then you get the podcast in your feed. But for now, please. Give us a shot on Podbean. That's the only place that you can listen. Uh, I've been tweeting those links out. I've been sharing them on the Facebook page. Uh, Derek's been retweeting those links. Uh, I've been putting them out at least twice a day. So if you can, just give us a chance. Listen to it on Podbean.com. We have, I actually think we have like 15 people subscribed to it on Podbean. So some people must use Podbean as their (laughs) podcast player. But uh, hopefully soon we're getting closer to being on Spotify once we get five episodes in. And then Apple Podcasts hopefully maybe this one might be the one that people get uh but yeah anything you want to add Derek? i think you wrapped it up well well 
hopefully we'll just put a big put a big bow on this thing and send it out there and get get some people listening we know this show is new but we we ask if if you give us a chance whenever you can leave us a review and let's see how this thing goes we'll be back tomorrow with nate sestina and i'm sure that'll be a good episode as well he'll be on to talk kenny Payne and that relationship but I'm Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. He's Derek Terry of the Cat's Paws. You've listened to episode three of Kentucky Daily. We'll see you tomorrow. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.